Well, good morning. A quote. She did not stand alone, but what stood behind her, the most important moral force in her life, was the love of her father. Uh, that came from Harper Lee. So this room is filled with men who know that there's work to do. This work is provided in the context of the love of God himself toward their wives and for their children. So today we'll pay tribute to our dads. But I'm fitting this strongly in the context of our current study. So let's remember one of the most impactful statements that I've ever read takes place in the book of Malachi foretelling the coming of the Messiah. But what does it do? It says, the Bible says in Malachi 4, 4 through 6, says this, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So fathers, your calling today and role is to represent the Almighty himself as the moral backbone of your family. Without it, this whole land collapses. So, now let's turn to a major need in this backbone today. It will be called its glue. That's all I got. I'm going to call it its glue. So without it, the backbone would just simply be a pile of bones. It's called unity. We must have unity in our families and in our church. So we have to know that this is paramount in our lives, not only for today, but also for tomorrow and for the rest of tomorrow's this world will ever experience. So we'll spend this morning talking about this glue and how important it is to you and to me. So in Romans 15 today, we're going to see that our being unified is actually more important, more important than the circumstances we are faced with in any given day. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that being unified must not be sacrificed almost at all costs. Right, dads? You see, in your families, when we're not unified, we all feel it. Nothing works well. Nobody feels like they fit into the right place. You see, the backbone needs its glue in order to be placed rightly. Without a strong backbone, the entire body can't function. Without unity, there's no backbone to speak of. Without a backbone, as I said, there's no functioning body. That's right. The body cannot function without unity. So that's what we're going to see today. All right? So we're all living life together. We get to experience all sorts of things, including great successes, great fun, great festivals. We get to work together. We're in the process of growing old together. We're growing up in a community of real people living life. This, of course, includes trials, difficulties, questions that aren't easy to answer, 
times where we experience difficult or difficulties. Sometimes we experience conflict. So this list here, I'm sure, only scratches the surface of what we would call, believe it or not, what we would call the rich and full life that's provided us by Christ. So do, we, do you know what I mean with that, the rich and full life? We're not talking about just from mountaintop to mountaintop. That's not a rich and full life. Rich and full lives are complete. They have valleys. They have, uh, they have cliffs. They have streams. That's a rich and full life. That means that sometimes we will have some difficulties. But that also means there will be times we'll have great successes, we'll have great joys, we'll have great times, great fun. So God is right when he says that there is a time for everything under the sun. So let's know that when we get into our lives, we experience all these things more and more together. That's a part of what we'll be talking about. So I think I need to start, if, if I can, with a story. It's been a little while since I've shared a story. Um, but this scene takes place some 35 years ago when I was around 15 years old, sometime after the Great Depression, and <laughs> was trying out for school, the basketball team. And I know I brought this up before, but this time I have something a little different to talk about with this. Um, I remember the practices and the conditioning. And there's a reason for doing this, uh, so you're going to have to... Um, bear with me, if you will, for this little story. So I guess thinking about these basketball practices, you know, you would think that during these times that there would be a basketball, that we'd be using basketballs, but there were no basketballs out for a long time. Um, they had to get us into shape. So we spent our time in conditioning with drills. So we had, uh, if you imagine, being all along the court, there were stations so you'd have different places on the court where you had different things that people were doing to get themselves into shape. So not to go into the gory detail here, but there are times where you'd run back and forth. There are times you'd run up and down. There are times you'd jump a certain way. The, these varying exercises, they're designed to get our muscles developed. They're designed to get us our balance situated to where we we're a little bit better. The point here is to get us into shape, but a different kind of shape. Basketball game shape. Different. So there's a lot of work, uh, but you could probably tell, I think I said it before, that my role on the team was to be the lumberjack, the guy that was designed to bowl people over, you know, um, for the benefit of the team. So, but I needed to get into prime lumberjack cutting shape. That's what I needed to get into. So imagine this guy into lumberjack cutting shape. <laughs> No, I have on here pause for effect. <laughs> so, but it was something. I had to get into some pretty stringent conditioning. Uh, so, just like everybody else. So, to take a, a, if we're thinking about some of the results, or I'm thinking about some of the results, I'm going to share some of them. So, many of us know what I'm talking about because many of us have done these types of things too, where you decide I'm going to train, I'm going to take up running, uh, or maybe you've joined a team of something. Uh, maybe you've gotten into weightlifting. Maybe you're running up and down a big hill in your yard. You've decided to do that. So when we take these moments more seriously and decide to really work our muscles, what happens? Get sore. That's right. We get sore. 
We get sore from our head to our toes. Our arms hurt. Our legs hurt. Our stomachs hurt. I think in my case, my hair even hurt. So it becomes hard to move without wincing. You know what, though? It gives evidence of something, right? So I'm going to give you a guess of what this evidence or what this might be. So what's really happening? Yeah, we're getting sore, but what else? We're getting into better shape. It's called growth. We're experiencing growing pains because we actually are growing, in fact. We're able to run faster. We're now able to jump a little higher. We're able to become stronger for really a more clear purpose. And, of course, what's this purpose that I'm talking about? Well, in my case, it was to be able to play the game of basketball. In this case, that was my case. But what would be your case? If we're going to apply this today, what about our case today? What are some of these things purposed for? So now I'm going to start to talk about the truth of unity. It doesn't happen automatically. It comes with practice. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read out of Romans chapter 15 with this. And we're going to talk about these growing pains. And we're going to review the glorious truth about being ready for this purpose. So what is this purpose? So we are going to need, we're going to be talking about working toward unity. There's actually work to do. So I can't say it better than Romans 15, 6. I'm going to give you a little sneak peek here. So it, it says this. It says, that you may be with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now how's that for a purpose? So this morning we're going get to in, get into some of what it takes to get us here. And we're going to experience some growing pains. Or we're going to see some growing pains in order to do it. Okay? That's this morning. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for this wonderful day. Lord, as we, as we think through varying purposes, varying roles in our lives, um, you know, we think about fathers, we think about grandfathers, but as we do this, we can't help but to think about our wives and our daughters and our sisters and our brothers and our grandkids. Lord, we are all a family. We can't forget about our brothers and our sisters in Christ, for we are all family. And in all of this, Lord, we need a backbone. And I know in the family, many times, that's our husbands and our dads. But Lord, you are ultimately the backbone of our lives. And Lord, with that, we understand that, Lord, the unity that you give us provides the glue to hold all of this together. And we know we need it. So I pray, God, that in our hearts today, that we would receive this message. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, Romans is kind of, the, the, the part of Romans we're looking at here is Romans 15, 1 to 13. It's kind of divided into two sections. Okay, so number one, the first section, it's describing the important calling to be like-minded. Say that in quotes. Now, of course, it tells us how this can happen. So, Scripture is going to say it's important for you to be like-minded, but it's also going to help us on how to get there. Okay, we're not going to be left alone with this. <clears throat> and then number two, the second part of this, like-mindedness, what, what's the purpose for this? So it's, it's getting into the calling as described in one. 
But it's the opportunity uh, or the purpose of that is that we will be able to bring glory to God. Wow. We're actually going to be able to do that. Can anyone come up with a greater purpose in life? What is the chief end of man? Right? So, of course, this is going to take some growing pains. So we know our starting point, at least I know mine. Um, but at the end of all this, effort and pain will prove to be more than worth it. And, of course, how we provide the effort isn't what will bring the result. God actually will bring the result. That makes sense? So let's begin at this point. I'm going to read Romans 15, 1 to 13. So please, if you would stand for the reading of this word. Romans 15, beginning in verse 1, says this, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of scriptures, might have hope. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. For this reason I will confess you among the Gentiles, and sing your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So please be seated. That was a reading of the Lord's Word, Romans 1, or chapter 15, 1 to 13. So what do we what do we just read? This section begins by referring to those who are strong versus those who are weak. What does it say? We who are strong ought to quote unquote bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. So let's consider for a moment what we're reading here. This section is talking about areas of morality, okay? How individual freedoms in our moral spheres can vary. Can we agree that that can happen? There are those who will be considered strong versus those who would be considered to be weak. The description here in relation to the term weak is scruples. So what do scruples mean? Well, as defined, scruples actually refers to a feeling of doubt or hesitation to the morality or propriety of a course of action. That's what scruples means. In other words, a person who is somewhat hesitant toward a moral decision would be said to be having scruples. Does that make sense? So a strong person may not have the same hesitation. 
they are more confident in their decision making and more likely to be ready to move in their course of action. They likely have a thought or a plan and they are ready to execute. Maybe their course of action includes a few challenging areas that might require some maneuvering in order to accomplish this goal. Please know this is hypothetical, right? Because I know if we were to pause for a moment, we might have some thoughts to that. So we could go down thousands of roads to find an example of what this might be. But in this example, the more confident person will find themselves working with a person who does not have the same level of confidence. So what do we do here? Well, let's say uh, that I'm the confident one and that I want to get something done or I would like to do something that the person next to me isn't so sure about doing it. Well, I being the more confident person, as defined in this example as being strong, need to exercise or practice something. I need to exercise or practice something. I need to bear with the weaker person. Or put another way, I need to have patience. This is the thing that will be giving me growing pains if I'm the stronger person. Do you know what I mean here? When we have something that we believe certainly needs done and we run into someone who is extremely hesitant, what does God want here? What my voice cracked. Did you catch that? Asking this again, what does God, not me, want done in that circumstance? So which is more important, my goal, alongside his or her scruples, or is it more important for us to be in unity? So, Scripture is very plain here. My personal goal would need to take a back seat, and I will now need to choose to not please myself. I need to take my methods or my goals or maybe even my entire person out of this equation in favor of creating unity with my brother or sister. Does this make sense? So we're exercising our patience. And by doing this, we are creating a situation that now actually has comfort and hope. How do I know that? I'm going to read right now out of Scripture. It says this, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. It's Ephesians 4.2 that bears witness. This also says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So let's take a quick look at what it would look like if we were to be not to be in good practice here. So looking at Ecclesiastes 7, 5 through 9, it says this, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This is also vanity. Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason, and a bribe debases the heart. The end of the thing is better than the beginning. Here we go. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. So did we notice something here? They just read this. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So if we thought about it in this way, maybe the weaker person, as this just said, maybe the weaker person is actually wise. 
So I'm not trying to make this point here entirely with every case for the weaker person. But I'm comfortable in making the point that the stronger person runs a very real risk of becoming proud in spirit and can also run the risk of becoming angry and ultimately will be a fool if they do not exercise patience. So instead of pushing through and becoming a literal fool, we need to experience these growing pains and push through and exercise our patience. Remember, as always, our goal isn't necessarily his goal, right? In fact, to be clear here, we've already been told what his goal is, quite simply and literally, to be like-minded toward one another, both strong and weak, regardless of what we may think is morally available to us. So let's climb. I've been in the shoes of the stronger person. Let's climb now into the shoes of the weaker person for a minute. What would they say? How would they feel? Maybe we can relate. Whew, what a relief. Let's say that stronger person has decided to bear with me. What a relief. I don't have to compromise my faith. And I don't have to do the thing that I almost certainly couldn't do. We can relate. Have you ever been asked to do something that you knew wasn't right? And you felt you didn't have a choice? I mean, I know we do. We always have a choice. But the person or people that you were with didn't seem to care what you thought and wanted to do it anyway, and they pushed through, and they did it. How did we all feel? Well, to some extent, we felt divided. So if we're, the weaker, if we're in the weaker person's shoes and we find relief, not only do we have, not have to compromise, we actually find grace from the stronger person who agrees to bear with us, thereby exercising patience and not to do it. So how do we feel here? Well, with that, we feel hopeful and we feel unified. That makes sense? So in verse 4, it says this, For whatever things were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. So we can see here that patience will bring us hope. Okay? That's if we're in the shoes of the weaker person. Let's climb back in the shoes of the stronger person who's bearing with the weaker one. Okay? This person would say something like this. I somehow feel more gracious. I feel like I'm giving. Uh, that I'm a feeling, that I'm a giving person. I actually feel good. Well, how is that? If the stronger person is bearing with, how do they feel good? Well, truth is, they're, they're behaving in a scriptural way. It says this, therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us. So what is happening, this person is actually displaying a very godly trait as we receive the weaker person, quote-unquote, just as Christ received us. We just did in a very small sense, but a very real sense, we displayed a godly action of bringing in someone who we may think is weak and relieving and, and receiving them. So please know this, though. I'm liberally, liberally saying weak and strong as Scripture is using this as the example, but I can't pretend to label a person as strong or weak in these circumstances. So I'm just giving you my little clarification. I'm saying I'm strong and I'm saying weak, but I'm using that only because that's what the Scripture is doing. I can't tell you that I believe in certain circumstances that a person is strong or that a person is weak, but I do believe that there are two opposing viewpoints and they're being labeled that way. Does that make sense? That's what I'm doing. So I'm letting you know that. 
So for the sake of this example, I'm going to continue on with those terms. <clears throat> As they do work. I mean, it, it makes sense. It works here. Scripture is using it, so of course it works. So what I've done is just talk through verses 1 through 4 of Romans 15. So, but let's notice something very important here. We've discussed, believe it or not, we've just discussed the mechanics of how to handle conflict when it arises between the brethren. Did you catch that? When there's conflict, we've just discussed the mechanics of how we can handle that. So handling it correctly helps contribute toward unity. So our message today can probably really end here. And we've gotten information that would be very useful for me, be very useful for the rest of my life. So we can see that the issue of the circumstance is not as important with God when it comes into comparison with our love toward one another and our unity with one another and with him. Okay, I'm going to read verses 5 through 6. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to complete the thought here and bring in some common sense. We've not really considered something that to this point should almost be shouting in our ears, our flesh, that is, that would say, these things are pretty difficult. They're very difficult to do. I almost feel that they're impossible to do. It just cannot be done in all circumstances. There are a few circumstances in my life when my unity with a person sitting next to me disagrees with me. Right? So if that's the case, so let's take a look at a common practice. If I'm the stronger person who's just been confronted with the weaker person, they do not want to do what I want us both to do. So for a minute, what about my fleshy shoes? What if I'm the quote-unquote stronger person? What would my flesh say to that? Well, my flesh may say something like this. Well, I'm the stronger person, and I've got a good idea. And they're the weaker person. They're not understanding, or maybe they simply need me to tell them what to do. They need to realize that what I'm wanting us to be unified by my efforts and convincing them that I'm right. And they're not seeing things clearly. My thing is very important, and they aren't understanding, etc., etc., right? So let's try this now for the weaker person. Well, I'm the weaker person, and this person is trying to force me into something that I know is wrong. They don't want to listen to me, and I'm trying to tell them what they want is wrong. They want me to sin, and I just won't do that, etc., does that sound familiar? So what needs to happen here? Even more importantly than the stronger person needing to bear the other's weaknesses, they both need to realize that they need the Lord. We both would need to realize that we need the Lord. This situation can be sticky. I'm not going to go into examples. We've got them. James 3... Uh, I'm sorry, James 3.16 says this, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Proverbs 18 says, An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against sounds judgment starts quarrels. So notice these verses alongside Romans 15, 5-6, which says this, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind 
and one mouth glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice, in every single case here, Scripture's telling us from a negative or corrective viewpoint versus a teaching viewpoint, it's telling us that we are wanting to give up our personal desires, or better put, better put, pull ourselves out of the equation and replace not only with the wisdom given from Scripture, but in addition, replace it with the Lord himself in that situation. We need Christ to get us through these situations. Just as we read, he is the one who grants us patience and comfort. So we need to pray to him for these things when we're faced with these quarrels, that he will grant us the answer. So, what might he grant us? So his answer will likely sound something like this, that he will grant us to be like-minded. Maybe that's what he would be granting us. We'll find our wish for being like-minded will outweigh our selfish desire, whatever it is, and we will see a greater purpose than our personal desire. The greater purpose is to actually be like-minded with our brethren. So that's the answer to the prayer that we should all times be praying for. So by the way, I think it's fair to note, verses 5 and 6 actually are a prayer, by the way. Paul is doing this. He's saying this. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's actually a prayer. So when faced with personal conflict, we'd want to immediately pray to the one who brings peace and comfort and gives us to be like-minded just as was laid out here. Okay? So... That actually is completing the first section of this Romans chapter 15. We just talked about the mechanics of being like-minded during conflict. I know I kind of said a lot there, didn't I? Um, but I, what I'm wanting to do is let us know that there is a way to handle conflict. And I understand that these are all things that we have experienced in our lives. And we can, by experience, say, we need the Lord. So I'm thankful that in all cases, God answers, and he answers our prayer. So let's look at number two, the second part of this. So what happens when we are like-minded? What's next? Well, that God is glorified. So taking a pause here, he's actually and literally glorified when we are like-minded. So scripture lays it out this way. When we are like-minded toward one another... It says this, we can, in quotes, with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's obvious to note that when we are not like-minded, we cannot glorify God with one mind and one mouth, right? So we would then be divided and not unified. So that's obvious. But it's important to point that God grants us with one mind and one voice the ability to glorify him. So, God in this area of scripture is pointing to both the Jews and the Gentiles. I'm about to read this. He's about to make a pretty big point that will relate with us. Two very different people groups. He's literally bringing them together, just like he can bring in both you and me individually. So I understand I might be jumping off the cliff here and bringing in a large extrapolation into this discussion of personal conflict, but we do need to know that I'm bringing to light the very point that scripture is making this, and that when we act selflessly and to give to one another, we are in fact demonstrating his love for both sides of the conflict. Let's read verse 7. 
Therefore, receiving one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say, Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for both the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. <coughs> he says here for us to receive one another just like Christ has received us. Both sides, Jews, whom he became a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God and to the Gentiles who would glorify God for his mercy. So our individual conflict resolution here actually represents something here. So you have to bear with me. When we are strong, we are received as he became a servant for us. When we are weak, we are received and will glorify God in his mercy. In both cases, God is glorified when we are what? Unified. When, so reading the next response. For this reason, I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse in he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentile shall have hope. I'm finishing out this section of scripture that I'm going to be talking about today. So God is being glorified here. And to know that the Apostle Paul in the beginning of this chapter was simply stating what the strong or that the strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. We're faced with the enormous conclusion of glorifying God when we put to practice this simple little concept of working toward becoming like-minded with one another. So we're going to consider that the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, used the concept of conflict resolution with one another to bring about the point that God will be glorified with both Jews and Gentiles. So surely, if that's the case, then you and I can accomplish unity in our little differences, can't we? That's our, actually our application this morning. Our unity must be more important to us than our personal desires. When this happens, he will bring in both, the strong and the weak, unity, comfort, and ultimately hope. In addition, through this process, he, our Heavenly Father, is quite literally glorified. So dads, I know that when we see our families... Working together, we feel a major sense of accomplishment. Speaking as a dad. When our families are working together, that's how we feel. We feel this way rightly because our Heavenly Father puts that in us. He just gave us a description of how, how we can even handle conflict through these times. God is happy when we are unified. That's the glue to our backbone. Our unification is the glue to the backbone that works the body so the body can be unified, so the Father can be glorified. Does that make sense? Psalm 147 says this, 
Verse 11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. This verse almost entirely sums up the entire passage we reviewed today, this morning. Let's know that he takes pleasure in us today when our hope is not in our goals, but in his mercy. Last verse of chapter 15, this section that I'm reading says this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not just for dads and grandfathers. That's for moms and sisters and brothers. That's for everybody in our family. That's also for our church family. That's for all of us. May God of hope fill us with joy and peace in believing that we will abound in hope by the power of who? By the Holy Spirit, God himself. All right, let's pray. Lord, you're the one that brings peace, and that's the beginning, and that's the end, God. You are the peacemaker, and you give us the ability, and you teach us how to do this. Lord, might we, with our experience, continue to exercise patience and forbearance? Might we, in our lives, um, continue to know that the God of peace is the one who brings unity, and we get the special privilege of playing a part. So we're so thankful for that, God, that you um, don't just leave us to our own. You give us the mechanics of how to be able to do these things, but you give us the strength, you give us the wisdom. Lord, you give us your word, but mostly you give us your Holy Spirit. And by that, Lord, you are glorified when you see us live in unity, when you see us work together. Oh, the joy that comes with that. And so I'm so glad, Lord, to be able to communicate your word here. Pray, God, that whatever the gaps that may have been expressed here today would be filled by you this week, Lord, that this uh, section of Scripture, Lord, that we would take a moment, reread it, and uh, soak it in. It's very good for us today. So I'm so thankful that today we could have been talking about this. So I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.